good evening. Uh, let me make sure I get my mic adjusted appropriately here. All right. Can you hear me okay? Yes. All right. So it's good to be uh, with you this evening, uh, continuing on in the I Am series. I know that uh, we've had quite a bit of talk about shepherds today. Uh, I believe God works things out for a purpose, and I believe that he guides us where we are in our, our, our studies here together. And as Josh was preaching this morning and he started talking about uh, Jesus looking on uh, the people who were kind of running ahead of the boat to, to kind of head off Jesus, and he says he looks upon them like sheep without a shepherd. I was like, oh man, <laughs> he's, 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 he's going exactly where we're going tonight, which is not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing at all for us to focus on a topic and for us to hear from God's Word, because God's Word speaks a lot about shepherding, and I, I think that as we look tonight at Scripture, we'll see how the example of a shepherd is is one that can be applied in many different areas, and I, and I hope to hit on a, on, on a few of those tonight. So uh, we will be in two primary scriptures this evening, if you want to kind of go ahead and, and, and mark those. Um, the, the, the primary scripture that we'll be looking at will be in John chapter 10, 10 through 21, and then if you want to put a thumb or a marker in another spot, we'll be uh, back over to Ezekiel 34. So while you're turning to John 10, I want to tell you a little bit about something that my family likes to do each and every year. We look forward to the Kentucky State Fair. I don't know if you are as big a fair nerd as we are, but we love the Kentucky State Fair. We actually uh, had an entry in the fair this year. My daughter entered a, a picture in the fair, and you might be saying, well, that's great. And what it me meant to me was discounted tickets. So we, we took advantage of the fair entry and the discounted uh, fair book tickets to go to the fair. And, and part of going to the fair is taking in the sights and sounds, the food that's going to end up hurting your stomach later because it's, it's got more grease than usual. But one of the things that we look the most forward to when we go to the fair is making our way over into the animal section to an area that's, that's been fenced off and it's got this green mulch stuff in it. It's where the Miller's Border Collies are. Now, Miller's uh, Farm is an active farm. They have sheep and they have cattle and they have other things like that. And the gentleman that comes is an actual shepherd. Now, he's not wearing a long coat with a traditional band and a nice shepherd's crook standing out there with sandals. He, he's an average looking guy. As a matter of fact, he is a school teacher who does the farm and the shepherding on the side. But the, the reason that I'm mentioning this and talking about this is to talk about shepherding and talk, to talk about the example of shepherding that you can see when you watch him work with the dogs and the ducks. So you have the shepherd with his shepherd crook, because he does have a shepherd crook, but he will tell you as he is walking around with his microphone to begin with that the dogs have a natural instinct, and that natural instinct is to guide or herd the ducks toward him, the shepherd. And as he does this, he will walk with his microphone, and as he walks, this dog is diligently making sure that those ducks are moving to wherever he goes. And as he walks and stands still, the dog will make sure that those ducks stay right in around his feet. And it's amazing. He's not telling the dog to do anything. This is a natural instinct of the dog. Now, as he brings more dogs out, he gets them to go through tunnels and bridges and up into a, uh, a cage at the end. 
But the, the thing that, that, that I was thinking about as I think about this, that we watch every year and we enjoy it so much, is that the shepherd is calling out commands to the dogs, and he begins to work them to get them to do the different things with the ducks. He has vocal commands, he whistles, and he has a shepherd's crook. It's, just, it, it's, an, it's an amazing thing to see that someone has the capability of working with those animals in order to, to lead and guide. Now, as we use this example this evening, I want you to know that I'm not calling you ducks. And I'm not calling Josh a dog, okay? This is not a perfect example, but I think it gives us a good image or a good picture of what it is for us to have a pastor who has a shepherd who guides sheep along according to how God is directing and guiding. So we will come back to this multiple times, but as, as we take a look at this example, I think this imagery will be something that will help us along. So as we continue in the, the I Am series tonight, talking specifically about the Good Shepherd, we're going to read John 10, 10 through 21. God's Word says, actually, I, let me go to 11. I'm sorry, I said, I said 10 earlier, so we'll, we'll be in 11. I am the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. The wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. And at these words, words, the Jews were again divided. Many of them said, He is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, These are not sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Let's pray. Dear Lord God, as we, as we seek to study your word tonight and we seek to, to have it change our lives, Lord, we just pray that you would lead us and guide us in our time of discussion and study here together tonight, Lord. And we pray, Lord, that above all things, that you would be glorified. We ask and pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So tonight as we look at this scripture and we talk about our shepherding example, there's, there's, there's three things that I want you to see. They should stand out to you because they're pretty much pulled directly from the scripture. But as, as we look at them, uh, I want us to see first that Jesus is the good shepherd. And as you write that, you may want to underline good, because we're going to focus on that word good for a little bit as we, we talk about that first point. Secondly, we want to see that the good shepherd willingly lays down his life for the sheep. And thirdly, that Jesus knows his flock and they know him. So Jesus is the good shepherd. The good shepherd willingly lays down his life for the sheep. And Jesus knows his flock and they know him. So Jesus as the good shepherd. So I, I think first as we look at this, I had you underline the word good because I see good as a descriptive term. 
If we look at other places in Scripture where we may have seen Jesus called good, I, I think we could potentially look to Luke 18 and see the rich young ruler talk to Jesus. And as he comes to Jesus, he says, good teacher. Now, the young man's not wrong. Certainly, we would, we would all agree that Jesus was a good teacher. But the young man didn't recognize Jesus for who he was. He merely thought he was a good teacher. So since he was wrong in his thought, Jesus addresses that thought and says, why do you call me good? There is none good but God. And as he says that, we're, we, we don't understand Jesus to say that, meaning that he's not God or that he's not good. He's merely correcting the misunderstanding of the young man, and he's wanting to draw his attention to God, not just to the fact that this is a good teacher. He's wanting him to recognize that Jesus, he himself, is God. So as he, as he says that, I think when we look at Jesus being the good shepherd, we can use some deductive reasoning. I like Sherlock Holmes. I, I like shows that make me think. And I, I think if we can take Jesus' statement that there is none good but God. And we know that Jesus is the good shepherd. So if Jesus is good, Jesus is God. And I think that that follows through very logically for us to say that not only is Jesus good, but Jesus is God. Jesus himself claimed to be God. He showed himself to be God. He showed himself to be of God many times throughout Scripture, fulfilling prophecy after prophecy. And I, I think as we look at this term good, it's not just saying good as in a differentiating factor, but I think it's descriptive in the fact that it's calling him good as in the good shepherd, not a good shepherd. So, so the second thing we see about the word good is that it's a differentiating factor, as I just mentioned. Now, if we, if we turn to Ezekiel 34, we can see some of the things that differentiate the good shepherd from the shepherds that had been over Israel. So in Ezekiel 34, starting in, in verse 1, we see, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves. So the shepherds are only caring for themselves, which is actually the opposite of what a shepherd is supposed to do. The shepherd is supposed to be a selfless person who cares only for the sheep. That's their job is to care for the sheep. But these shepherds are caring for themselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool, slaughter the choice animals, but you do not care, take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. And so they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered all over the mountains and on every high hill, and they were scattered over the whole earth, and no one searched or looked for them. This is the exact opposite of the picture we get with Jesus Christ. So he's not merely a shepherd, he is a good shepherd, and not just a good shepherd, but the good shepherd, the only good shepherd. Looking at those examples, it says that he did not, the, the, the bad shepherds did not strengthen the weak. What did Jesus do? He strengthened the weak. He healed the lame. He brought those who were sick 
to full health. He, he, he healed lepers. He restored sight. He, he healed the ear of a man who had his ear cut off in the garden as he was being arrested. He brought dead back to life merely by speaking words in some cases, in some cases by merely a touch of his garment. He brought back the strays, those who were lost. In the sermon we heard this morning from Josh, in Mark chapter 6, we hear that Jesus is looking out on the people and he has compassion. He feels for them because he sees them as a flock of sheep without a shepherd. No one to lead them. That leading them was the job of the priest. They were supposed to be doing like the example that I had with the dog who was kind of herding the ducks along wherever the shepherd was. That was their job was to lead them in following God. But they had abandoned that because they sought to serve themselves. And as we'll find out a little bit, they looked at their position more as a hired hand, potentially, than they did as a shepherd. So this good shepherd is also the Lamb of God. You, you may have heard Marcus mention uh, this uh, briefly uh, earlier, that we have this example of a good shepherd, but the good shepherd is also described to us as the Lamb of God who is slain to take away the sins of the world. And, and when you first think about that, you're like, wait a minute, so he's the shepherd, but he's also a sheep, or he's a lamb. So how does that go together? How can we have that? Does it, is it maybe a, a mixed-up metaphor or something like that? No, it's not the case. What it's, what it's telling us is that not only is Jesus Christ God as the shepherd, but he became man. So he's fully God and fully man, and only God could die in man's place to save man from sin. Sin came into the world through a man, Adam, and the atonement for that sin had to be through a man, a perfect man, Jesus Christ. So in becoming the sh or being the shepherd, he had to also become the lamb in order to pay the sacrifice that none of us have ever been able to pay. None of us will ever be able to pay. We're only able to receive that forgiveness through that sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Secondly, I think as we look at the good shepherd, Jesus was willingly or willingly laid down his life for the sheep. Now, I think it's important for us to note here that the good shepherd was willing to do this. This was not something that was forced upon him. This was not something that he didn't know ahead of time. This was not something that, um, I think sometimes when we talk to our kids and we explain to, to kids about how uh, Jesus was put on trial and uh, it was trumped up charges and they found him guilty and then he was crucified by Roman soldiers, I think sometimes they get the impression that those people killed Jesus and that it was against Jesus' will or that Jesus had no control over it. And I think we need to make sure that as we teach them and as we talk about these things, that we make sure that they understand that Jesus knew ahead of time that he was coming to die so that the sins of the world could be forgiven. What they did, they did according to the will of God. That was part of God's plan. That wasn't a mistake. That wasn't something that just was happenstance and Jesus was just a victim. No, he willingly went to the cross to die for our sins because he knew there was no other way for our sins to be forgiven. I want to contrast this again with the bad shepherds that we talked about from Ezekiel 34. 
The bad shepherds had abused their position. They were taking advantage of this. And they were not willing to lay down their lives for the sheep. If we look back to uh, our primary text in, in John, uh, John chapter 10, it says that, let me see what the verse for you. The, uh, verse 12. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. And the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. And the man runs away because he, he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I think this is, this is an exact representation of what we see in Ezekiel 34. It's the same situation where these shepherds are more in for their position for the pay than they are for the actual work. It's at this point I want to make sure that, that we address the, the, what I think is an obvious issue is that, that there are people who look at the pastorate or they look at working in some sort of ministry or they, they look at working in church as an easy profession, one that comes with a flexible schedule Benefits of people maybe dropping food off at your house on a regular basis. You, know, you can play golf when you need to. Uh, you're going to have to do some weddings and funerals, but the pay's pretty good. And as long as you don't offend anybody and kind of go along with it, you can make a pretty good living. Maybe there are some people who think that way. I know that there are people who have entered into the ministry with the idea that it would be a, a, a good profession. But it's not a profession. It is a calling upon a person's life. And it is not a calling that anyone should enter, on, or enter into lightly. It should be entered into with prayer. You should be broken when you come. And you should be totally transparent with who you are and why you're coming to this. And you need to understand that you don't come to it for gain. If you do, you're like the hired hand who views it as a job, as a paycheck. And when bad times come... You will see those people abandon their flock, abandon their sheep, and allow the wolves to come in and scatter and destroy. That is not what a pastor or a shepherd of, of God's church is called to do. Pastors are called to defend. Pastors are called to lead. Pastors are called to stand in the gate, as we heard uh, from, from Austin when he was preaching last week about uh, the gate. Pastors are called to stand in the gate and be that line of defense from the sheep and the world. We're called to do that because why? Why are we called to do that as, as, as those who might lead or those who might preach? Because we are emulating Christ. We're merely following his example imperfectly for sure, but we're doing it because that's a calling upon our life and we're seeking to serve him. And you might be sitting there right now saying, well, hey, I'm not a pastor. I guess he wasn't talking to me a few minutes ago, right? No. Do you have a house? I think this example of shepherding applies to you as well. As the head of your house or as a person who leads in your own home, you should be herding your ducks toward the shepherd. You should be leading your family in such a way that they find themselves continually around the feet of God. This applies to all of us. It's, it's not just to those who are in leadership. What the flock needs is for someone who will care for them, someone who will love them, lead them, guide them, stand in the gap. And the hired hand 
cares nothing for the sheep. These people who had been questioning Jesus, calling him to question, trying to think of wonderful questions to trip him up on points of the law so that they can have their aha moment where we can now put you on trial as a heretic. The reason that they were doing that is they were losing what they thought was going to be their way of life, their position, their power, their money. They were going to lose that if they now had freedom to place their faith and trust on Jesus Christ and they didn't have to follow all the rules and have all the sacrifices and things done for them by the religious elite. They were going to lose their way of life and that's what threatened them. That's why they sought to destroy Jesus. It wasn't because necessarily some of them didn't really sure on Jesus' opinion, but they were for sure on one thing, they didn't want to lose their way of life. And I think that's why sometimes we see them so upset and so mad about the things he says. They're, they're pious, but at the same time, they're ignoring all of the terrible things that they're doing to uh, the people that they're supposedly leading. And I, I, I just can't help but think in this example, these, these, these men who are leading are, are, are really just hired hands. Jesus is calling them exactly what they are. And he is telling them, you are the people that were talked about in Ezekiel 34. Christ is the owner of the flock, and he will not abandon them like the hired hands who care nothing for the sheep. Christ has authority. Guys, this is my favorite part of this. If you don't get excited about this, if you hear nothing else, listen to this. Christ has authority. When we read in the scripture here, he says he lays his life down only to take it up again. Who can say that? No one but God. That, that statement should, should make us excited. We should, we should shout hallelujah for that. What is our hope? Our, is our hope in a guy who is buried in a tomb in Israel with a stone still in front of it? Is that where our hope lies? If that's our hope, what is our hope? I hope to be buried in a tomb just like that guy? No, my, my hope is in Jesus Christ who is a risen Savior. He is a living Savior. My hope is eternal because He is eternal. My hope is living because He is living. And He has the authority to do that, to lay His own life down, to die and be buried, but to take His life right back up again. And because of that, He has the ability to do the same for each and every one of us who play place our faith and trust in Him as Lord and Savior, who will repent of our sins and follow Him, He has the power to do the same for each and every one of us. And that is the power of the gospel message. When we get a hold of that, we'll realize that nothing in this world, nothing that we're worried about, no problems or troubles that we see are going to hold us down. Because God has got it. He has the power. He has the authority. And there's nothing that's going to come against us or against Him that will prevail. So our hope is in a risen, reigning Savior. Thirdly, Jesus knows his flock and they know him. How sweet is that? Jesus knows us. Knows us intimately. We're, when we share prayer requests and we, we share things sometimes with the kids and, and e-kids, uh, we'll get quite a few. And... As the kids sometimes are asked to pray and we ask them to pray for things, they're, they're worried about, well, I have to remember to say all of these things. And the, the thing that's great is we don't have to remember that. God knows us. God knows those things that are on our hearts. And it says here, 
in the verse, the verse that I, I want us to, to, to reread again and just to think about this, it says, the Father knows me. Go, go to verse 14, if you will, in John chapter 10. It said, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I want to talk about that relationship between Jesus and the Father briefly and, and, and show you something that, that is, is another encouragement. I think it's just is, is amazing as you read this in Scripture that the relationship between Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit, we understand the Trinity, that they're three in one, and that that's a mystery to us. Some of it, some of it were, it's explained to us in Scripture, and as we read it, we, we don't fully understand all of it. But, but something I think that, that, that is a help is that when Jesus says that he and the Father are one, and just as the Father knows him, he knows the Father, he says that he knows us. We are connected to Christ as followers of Christ. As those who have, have, have repented of sin and followed him as Lord and Savior, Christ lives in us. Isn't that amazing? It's an amazing thought that, that Christ lives in us, and we have that personal, intimate relationship with him like he has with the Father. He knows our hearts. He knows our hurts. He knows the things that uh, are going on well in our lives. When we're celebrating, he knows those. And I think that that's an amazing thought for us to, to kind of think about. And even that in itself is hard for us to kind of completely wrap our, our minds around. But it's, it's something that we can trust because that's what Scripture has told us. In John 14, 9, Jesus is talking with Philip. And, and, and uh, he tells him that to see, to see me, to see Christ, is to see the Father. And I think that if we, if we think about it in that perspective... What that should mean for each and every one of us is to see a follower of Jesus Christ is to see Christ. That's the way it should be. I'm not saying that we're perfect. I'm not saying that we're that way all the time. Sometimes you might get frustrated at Walmart and you might, you know, end up on a YouTube video somewhere. But uh, we should be reflecting Christ in our life. When people see us, it should be to see Christ. So finally, if we, if we look at the flock of Jesus Christ, whom are we to fear? We have a good shepherd who is leading us, who is caring for us, guiding us, protecting us, standing in as the gate that we enter through. He's there to protect us from, from evil. And we all should also realize that the sending of Christ, if we read in, in Ezekiel 34, Christ is doing exactly what it was prophesied he would do. Ezekiel 34, verse 7, Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord, and as surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, because my flock lacks a shepherd, and so has been plundered, and has become food for all the wild animals, and because my shepherds did not search for my flock, but cared for themselves rather than for my flock. Therefore, O shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against the shepherds, and I will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves, and I will rescue my flock from their mouths, and it will no longer, they will no longer be food for them. And this is, this is awesome. For this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself I myself will search for my sheep 
Who is that I? That I is Jesus Christ. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them, and as a shepherd looks after a scattered flock when he is with them. So will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness, and I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land, and I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel and in the ravines and all the settlements in the land, and I will tend them in a good pasture, and the mountain's heights of Israel will be their grazing land, and they will lie down in good grazing land, and there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel, and I myself will tend them and have them lay down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. Isn't that amazing? That's exactly what Jesus Christ came to do. That's exactly what he did, and that's exactly what he is still continuing to do today. So the end of our, our, our text tonight, we, we're left with kind of an argument again, really. The religious leaders are, are talking about whether or not Jesus is who he said he was. And that's still the argument going on today, isn't it? Our world is still torn. They're still arguing about whether or not Jesus Christ was who he said he was. And I want to tell you tonight, I have no doubt in my mind, Jesus Christ was who he said he was. Jesus Christ is God's son, just as God's word said. He is the good shepherd, the one and only. He wants to lead you in paths of righteousness. So tonight, for those who, who might be leading, I encourage you to lead in such a way that you're continually leading towards Christ. You're following Christ. You're listening to his calls. You're listening to his commands. You're listening to his words. And you're leading people to follow him and not seeking to serve yourself. If you're leading at home, do the same thing at home. Lead your family. Lead those around you to, toward Christ. Lead them to follow Christ and, and to hear his call. And if you're debating whether or not Christ is who he said he was, trust Taste and see that the Lord is good. There is no other way by which man may be saved except through Jesus Christ. And I submit to you tonight that no matter what the world tells you, they're merely leading you out into the wilderness, leading you away from the truth, leading you away from safety. And we need to seek the true shepherd, the good shepherd, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for allowing us to be in your house again this evening, Lord. We thank you for your word, for your leadership and guidance in our life, Lord. We thank you for being the good shepherd who sought us, Lord, when we were astray. Lord, as Isaiah 53, 6 says, that each of us has turned into our own way just like sheep, Lord. We, we, we seek the things that we think that we need, but we don't know what we need. We just pray, Lord, that you would continue to seek the lost, to bring them back, Lord, to make them part of your flock, not only from here in Fairdale, Lord, in Louisville, in Kentucky, but in all the world. We praise you and honor you for all that you do for us, Lord. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.